shit and paper on his player haters old news money on the other line so i'm Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of I'm Not Gonna Hold You, man. I think this is we're like episode eight now. We're making we're making some strides, man. We almost at the double digit mark, man. But as usual, I'm your host Scott at Barbchair Scott. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow HMB Media TV and HMB Media TV on Twitter and Instagram, man. You can follow the brand of Barber's Chair Network at Barber's Chair Net and subscribe to our Patreon, Patreon.com backslash barber's chair network got five dollar packages ten dollar packages choose what's right for you man but let's get into it we got a packed show today i've got my homie sean davis from espn 1000 joining us later get ready for that but let's get into my opening sound off man miguel cabrera miguel cabrera detroit's own first baseman man he became the 28th member of the 500 club this past week as he hit his 500th home run in toronto a couple days ago against the Blue Jays, and I just want to give it out to Miggy, man. This is awesome to see where his career has come from over these last 17, 18 years, and just how I feel like he doesn't get the appreciation that he should. I mean, if you look at the man's track list, man, it's, it's actually crazy. It's 11-time All-Star, World Series champion in 2003. Who can forget about that crazy Marlins team that went on that wild run in 2003? If you're a Cub fan, I'm pretty sure you remember the Bartman game. That was the team over there, man. So he won in 2003 on, on that championship team. Moved to Detroit in 2008. He is a, a two-time AL MVP. Won the 2012 AL Triple Crown. It's like only the first time we've seen it in this current era, which was incredible. Uh, Seven-time Silver Slugger Award. Two-time Hank Aaron Award winner. Four-time AL Batting Champion. Two-time AL home run leader and two-time AL RBI leader, man. It's just incredible what he's done. I'm glad he's giving his flowers. And but I just think it's kind of like when you look at his career, we got to kind of look and see. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he kind of changed that Tigers franchise to be respectable over this last decade. I mean, all those different different division titles they uh won, getting to the ALCS in 2013 against the Boston Red Sox, and it's just always been a guy who is you know what you're going to get from him every year. You know you're going to get at least 300 batting uh, average, 30-plus home runs, and 100-plus RBIs. He's really become like a standard bearer out there uh, for uh, hitters at his position. And so now I'm starting to look at who do we think is going to be the next person to join the 500 club. There's a lot of people that's close. I will have to say off the jump right now, I will probably have to say it was going to have to be Mike Trout. Mike Trout would be a name that I will probably say maybe Giancarlo Stanton, Bryce Harper. Those guys are younger in their career, and they can probably get to that level. But I'm going to name one right now who only has 89 home runs, he's, and he's only 21 years old, already a World Series champion, that I think can be one of the members of the 500 club, and that is the Washington Nationals' Juan Soto, man. We need to look out for that kid. If he continues to stay healthy, if he continues to be out there, I think he can easily join the 500 club, man. But in my sound off, I want to salute to Miguel Cabrera, man, as somebody you terrorized my team. Over these last 13, 14 years of uh, being in the AL Central, I have, we have been on the receiving end of many a big Miguel Cabrera home run, many of, of a big Miguel Cabrera hit. Uh, it has been annoying to play against you, but it's been fun to watch you. And this, as, a, as a fan of the sport of baseball, man, it's been a pleasure, man. So my sound off, my salute is to Miguel Cabrera, Mr. 500. Uh, let's get into our first 
topic on the rundown, man. We're going to talk about the New York Yankees and the San Diego Padres, man. These are two different sides of the spectrum. Both teams coming into the season were very highly uh, regarded as the best teams in Major League Baseball. And a lot of people had these two teams meeting in the World Series. I mean, I even did my article at the beginning of the year, which was on Slick.com, Slick Sports, where I had them in the core four of contenders. I had them and the Dodgers, and I had the Yankees and the White Sox. Only two of them have really had a great season all the way through, which has been the White Sox and the Dodgers. The Yankees have come back from the dead. Just a month ago, the Yankees were eight games out. Eight games out of first place in the AL East. They were like five games out of the final wild card, and now they are on an 11 game win streak. It's the highest win streak since 1985, which is crazy when you think about it. You think about the history of the New York Yankees, especially that amazing run they had in the late 90s and the early 2000s. I even think in 1998, they won 114 games, and they didn't even have an 11 game win streak then. So for them to be doing this right now is, inc is incredible. Uh, everything's rolling for them. Aaron Judge has been uh, killing Michael Stanton. Yes, I'm calling. Michael, his mother named him Michael. That's why I'm gonna call him that. I ain't calling him Giancarlo. Mike Stanton has been killing, and they just been getting production all across the board, man. Their bullpen has been lights out. Their starting pitching has been good, and now, as we look at it a month later, they're only four games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for number one in the AL East, and they have currently have a two and a half game lead on the number one wild card spot over the Boston Red Sox and the Oakland A's. And if you're a fan of baseball, I think everybody would like to see a wild card game between the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox, which is, you know, regarded as the best rivalry in the history of baseball. Now, of course, over the last 10 plus years, hasn't really been a rivalry since they came back from the o, from the 03 uh, deficit in 2004. The A-Buy remembers, which went, went on to have them win their first, uh, their first uh, World Series in 87 years. And since then, they've kind of become a little bit of a mini dynasty, you know, winning again in 2007, winning again in 2013, and, of course, winning three years ago in 2018. And I think the one thing that's missing from this rivalry, we need to go back to the violence, man. Somebody got to get punched. Somebody got to get pushed. Kind of like what happened with Don Zimmer back in the day. We need that little bad blood back in there. And I think a wild card game with that kind of, you know, winner go home magnitude in Yankee Stadium with all those fans – I think it's something we want. It's something that I'm looking forward to, man. Of course, the Yankees have a chance to win a division. You know, four games is not a small, not a large uh, deficit, especially with five weeks left in the season. I mean, we just saw it. they were out. They were out eight games just a month ago. So that can definitely be clear. But if I still had to bet, I still think Tampa's going to hold on. And I think the Yankees will get that number one wild card. And it's going to be interesting. I would love to see them against Boston. Now, let's go to the West Coast, man. The San Diego Padres. The team, America's favorite, the team that everybody championed coming to this year, and rightfully so. They have a really good team. They've got somebody who I think should be this year's National League MVP, and Fernando Tatis Jr. We've got Manny Machado, who's been great all season, and uh, Jake Cronenworth, who's been good. They've had a really, really good team, and they start off pretty good. But over the last couple weeks, man, this team has not been good, especially over their last 10 games. They are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. Fernando Tatis just came back from an injury, which he mixed four, missed 14 games from. And I think one thing they have to be very, very careful for, as you see, they're paying them in the outfield because they don't want them to mess up that shoulder. And now they are one game behind the Cincinnati Reds for that final nationally wild card spot, man. And if you look at their schedule, I think they're screwed. I think they're screwed. As we're recording this, they're, they're playing the Death Star, which is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they lost last night in an incredible robbery of a home run by A.J. Pollock in left field of Manny Machado. 
and they just don't have enough pitching right now. You know, you uh, Darvish is on the IL, Blake Snell, uh, the trade that nobody could understand this past winter, why the Tampa Bay Rays, who just went to the World Series and traded away one of their best pitchers to uh, San Diego. He has not been able to get out to the sixth inning like more than twice this season. He has not been as advertised. Musgrove had that nice uh, no-hitter at the beginning of the season. Hasn't really been shit since. You know you're in a bad spot when you have to sign all lives Arietta, as I had to call him, Jake Arietta, who was terrible for the Cubs. If the Cubs cut you and they're hot ass right now, what makes you think he's going to come up and step up to the plate for a team that's postseason aspirations? He was bad. He gave you the Jake Garriott experience in just those three, four short innings. Three runs given up, and he's hurt. So to me, if you look at what they're doing, they've got to play the Dodgers one more time. they got to play the Giants two more times. They end the season against the Giants. they got to play the Atlanta Braves. It's not impossible. And only one game out of that final playoff spot. Uh, I don't think Cincinnati will run with it. But run off with it, but it's going to be extremely difficult. And unless they can start beating the Titans in the National League West, I think it's cooked for them, man. And if you got to look who's on a hot seat, who's on a hot seat is their manager, Jay, uh, Jay Stengler. I mean, he he is, first of all, he has a punchable face. Let's just get that out of the way. He, he does not look like he's a likable guy. All the pressure has been on you to get this team to not only win their first division in like 20-something years, but to get them to the postseason and make a legit run at the World Series. I think that their uh their general manager uh AJ Preller has done everything he possibly can to get this team in that position trading for Adam Frazier. We look like it was a good uh embarrassment of riches riches trade at the deadline. He has not been any anywhere near where he was in Pittsburgh. He's been very very lackluster. And you know, I think the only thing you can fault him for is the Max Scherzer trade falling down and falling falling through. And not only did it fall through, it went to your division rival, went to the Dodgers. But ultimately, his job is safe. All that goes on the manager. It's your job to get these guys ready to play every day, to go out there and win these baseball games. They lost two out of three to the damn Arizona Diamondbacks. That can't happen. That cannot happen at all. You're playing them again next week. you got to dominate them. So if there's anybody who should be worried, it is their manager. Because I think that time is up for them. If this team is not made the playoffs, which is ridiculous compared to what the offseason predictions were, he got to go. He gotta go. They got way too much talent on this team to waste. And with the with when you got the Dodgers in your division, who are really the monsters of baseball, when you look at that lineup with, with Trey Turner, Max Muncie, Justin Turner, I mean Cody Bellinger's batting eighth. I mean <laughs> Mookie Betts is coming back. It is a ridiculous lineup, and they got the three-headed monster of Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, and Clayton Crenshaw, as I like to call him. Clayton Crenshaw. Uh it's really going to be hard to beat them. So you got to do, you got to go the extra mile to not only compete with them in this division, because you don't want to be a wild card team every year. You got too much talent to do that. You got to be able to find a manager who can take them to the next level. So all eyes on them over these next five weeks, man. Can they get into the postseason and, uh, you know, see what they can do, man? So I'm not too confident. Uh, gun to my head, I think they're going to miss. I think they're going to miss. And I think Cincinnati will hold on to that final wild card spot, man. So. Let's get into our next topic, man. Our next topic, we're going to go into the NFL, man. A lot, a lot of big news coming out into the NFL as we are recording this. When, you, when you're hearing this, when you're watching this, it'll be 14 days until that home opener in Tampa where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will begin their Super Bowl rings against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I'm telling, like I said on the show last week, I do not think that Prescott will start in that game. But it's not what I'm talking about. Cam Newton. 
Cam Newton, Cole Beasley, they have been in the news this week. Both are away from their teams for at least five days due to COVID protocol. Uh, there's been a mixed mix up in the test. Uh, but if you look at the NFL's um, COVID restrictions, COVID guidelines, only players who are unvaccinated have to be away from the team. Now, I'm not going to come up here and lecture everybody about vaccinations. If you follow my, any of my social media accounts, if you listen to my podcast, you know how I feel strongly about that situation. We're going to talk about how, to me, this is endangering their team. To me, especially Cam Newton, especially Cam Newton, you're a guy right now who is fighting for his life to be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. You're going up against a guy who they drafted in the first round, Matt Jones, who's had a pretty decent offseason. Had a pretty not I'm pretty de- pretty good uh preseason. Pretty good preseason and he's been killing it in camp. And you just went out there and had a great preseason game yourself where I felt like he solidified the starting position. And I'm going to take Michael Irvin and Rich Eisen's stance on this. To me, if you're not going to take the shot, you're not doing anything to help your team. You're not fully in with your team and trying to do everything you can to win football games. And to me, it's a detriment to the team. And if you're the starting quarterback, you're the de facto leader of the team. And to me, it's sending a wrong message. If you're out there, Cam has worked so hard to get back to a situation where he's appreciated on a franchise. And I think for the most part, the New England Patriots have appreciated him and given him every opportunity to be the starting quarterback and for that, for that football team, for him to do something like this. And now you got Mac Jones going to be starting this preseason game. If he goes out there and he dominates or looks pretty good, they can't rely on you. He's going to be the starter. And if he goes out there and has a great rookie season, where does that put Cam for the rest of his career? He's not MVP Cam anymore. You know what I'm saying? Especially with last year, he had a good start to the season. Then he got COVID and missed a, re- missed a lot of uh, time, and he did not look right when he came back. And I just feel like it's a bad responsibility, bad message you're sending to your locker room when you're the starting quarterback to be out there to not do everything you can win, man. And I just feel like that's something that he might go out there and regret if Mac Jones takes advantage of this opportunity. Now, on the other side of the ball, we know how, how Cole Beasley feels about this thing. And it's the same thing. You got a team in the uh, Buffalo Bills who are a Super Bowl contender. That is a loaded roster. Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, they've got an incredible fucking defense. And you're one of the uh, top receivers on that team. And now you're not available there for your team. Either. So my whole thing with this is if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your damn teammates, man. Do it so you're putting your team in position to win the most games possible. It just doesn't look right, and I feel like it's extremely selfish on both parties, man. So that's just how I feel about that particular situation. But um, let's go on, man, to my Chicago Bears. My Chicago Bears, man, Matthew Nagy. If anybody listened to that this past week, 79th and Hallows episode, I was not happy. None of us are happy. My brother Flows was not happy as he's been covering the team for us out there at Hallis Hall. Uh, my homie Steve, who joined us, he was not happy. Y'all know I had some choice, choice words for Matthew Nagy. Now, since we recorded that, he named Andy Dalton the official starter for week one against the Los Angeles Rams, which doesn't make any sense, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I want to talk about something that he said this morning that makes no fucking sense whatsoever to me. I want to play this little quick, quick audio clip of what he had to say when a reporter asked him what can Justin Fields do as far as preparing to be starter for whenever that uh, time happens? Yeah, so for him, I would say the biggest thing is is um, making sure that that mentally 
Um, he understands conceptually where we're at, which he's done a really good job with that when I say that in the passing game. And then, of course, in the run game, too. I mean, there's just so many parts that go into the whole of this offense. What the fuck does that mean? What in the entire hell does that mean? Matt Nagy is the king of using words that don't make any fucking sense. He's just going up there saying a whole bunch of nonsense. And here's my problem with that. I'm going to call this man no plan Nagy because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And it's to the point where he's getting arrogant about it and talking to the media, talking to the fans like we're stupid. If you want to start Andy Dalton, fine. Start Andy Dalton. Makes no type of sense to me, but what they're doing with Just Fields not giving them any type of time with the ones. I think he's thrown to Allen Robinson practice like twice. Just doesn't make any sense. And it's peak bears that you finally get your franchise quarterback, and now you have this bald-headed idiot that could potentially slow up his process. If you look at every other situation in the NFL, Mac Jones practicing with the ones, Trey Lance. Just Fields got a way better chance starting this season than Trey Lance does. What's Trey Lance doing? Practicing with the ones. What's Zach Wilson doing? Practicing with the ones. What's Trevor Lawrence doing? Practicing with the ones. You've got Justin Fields out there throwing the fucking Mariano's baggers. You got guys who are going to be working at FedEx in three weeks who you're throwing them to. You got him out there with Morgan Park-ass line, uh, offensive lines. He's out there fighting for his life last week. You're not giving him the opportunity to even succeed. And this goes back to them promising Andy Dalton whatever the hell they promised him back in April, which makes zero fucking sense. Yes, you paid him $10 million. You're the Chicago Bears. You're going to make that $10 million back within the first four weeks of the season, maybe even earlier. Tell that man, look, we didn't know we was going to have a chance to get Justin Fields. We appreciate you, but we're going to run with the kid. It makes no entire sense in today's NFL to be slowing up a young quarterback's process. Is he going to go out there and struggle? For sure. He's a rookie quarterback. He's going to go out there. He's going to make some interceptions. He's going to make some bad plays. He's going to get sacked a couple times. But let him get it out of his system now so you're ready for next year. Look what happened with Justin Herbert last year. Now, granted, it's a different situation. Tyrod Taylor was going to start too, but Tyrod Taylor had that weird, you know, thing with the doctor where they accidentally stabbed him by, you know, something with a surgery. And Justin Herbert went out there and played. Justin Herbert went out there, had some of the best numbers we've ever seen from a rookie. And he's gotten all of the, uh, you know, the kinks out. So now he's ready for a second season. By slowing this man up, you're going to have him still working on that shit next season. And that's not even to add to the fact that I have zero faith whatsoever in Matt Nagy to actually put together an offensive game plan for him. Then he went up there and they said, oh, if you look at what we did in Kansas City, it takes three to four years to get to that offense to that offense, which is bullshit. That offense was good when Alex Smith was got, got there, and when they finally got Patrick Mahomes as a starter, it went too great. It was always good. The Bears' offense is trying to get from archaic and historically ass to just okay, and a lot of that to blame is on Matt Nagy. He was brought to come into this team to be some offensive guru in the last three seasons he's been here. The best season he had, I think it was the 2018, when they were ranked like ninth offensively, and if anybody watched those games... Stats lie. That team was not a good offensive team. In the last two years, been ranked 25, 26th in the NFL. This year, there's no more excuses, man. No more excuses. And for anybody out there, I see a lot of fans on, on Bears Twitter, a lot of media, a lot of national media who thinks, oh, where's jobs online? If you think that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace's jobs on the line, you have not been paying attention. 
These guys are going to be here for the next couple of years. So if you're a Bears fan, you want them to get this right. You've got this kid. It's hard to explain. He just got that look. Some players you just know are going to be great. Justin Fields is one of them. Get that kid out there right now. And the reasons you're giving us make no damn sense. And for everybody, it's like, oh, you don't want to have him go against Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey on week one. This is the NFL. You can't hide players from defensive guys. So what you're going to sit them out this week and sit them out next week and then have them, you know, have them play next week against Cincinnati and get ready for week three against Miles Garrett. You're going to have to play some of the best defenders because it's the NFL. You're going to see the Smith boys in Green Bay. You're going to see Nick Bosa in San Francisco. You're going to see uh, that defense they've got in uh, Pittsburgh, that defense they got in Baltimore. You can't hide them. Get them out there now. I don't give a damn if you started Justin. He threw three picks. To Jalen Ramsey, get it out your system, man. I just think it's just a massive, massive waste of time. And I don't think Nagy understands, which he should, because this is fourth season here, and he knows how the fan base gets down. And I actually kind of feel bad for Andy Dalton. I think Andy Dalton is a good guy. I love how he's taking Justin Fields under his wing. He's a he's a pro. He's had a couple decent seasons in his career. But if that man does not play well in Los Angeles and comes home against the Bengals. For the first home game, and he's stinking it up again. That crowd is gonna let you know what they think, and it's just gonna be a bad thing once uh to to keep on growing. And I don't think the Nagy's really gonna have the patience, not even really the patience, the opportunity to wait as long as he wants to, man. And, and it's just it's just a mess. I want them to get together. I don't like this process. They have no fucking plan. Figure that shit out, man. I don't want to keep ranting on this. If you want to hear more about this, 79th and Hallis is on the Barber's Chair Network. But anyway, let's go to our next topic, man. New York Jets fans, what's going on? Jets fans. I got a lot of Jets fans, homie, a lot of New York sports homies. They've been really blowing my line up lately, especially, of course, what the Yankees been doing. But the Jets might have a future, man. Jets might have a future. Number two overall pick, Zach Wilson, made a second start this past weekend against the Green Bay Packers in their second preseason game. The kid looked good. The kid looked good, man. Let's take a look at some of these numbers, man. Nine for 11, 128 yards, passing, two touchdown drives. I was somebody when he got drafted. I was like, what the fuck? Who is this kid? You know, especially watching Justin Fields drop as low as he did. By the way, I thank you for all your pre-draft bullshit that led to us getting this kid. But I just felt like it was a reach when he got there. In the first game I saw, and I just want to put this out there. This is preseason. Since preseason, can't get too high preseason, can't get too low to preseason. None of this shit means anything when football starts for everybody on September 12th. I get it. But you still want to see your franchise quarterback look good. And what I saw this past week against the Green Bay Packers was good. He didn't look panicked in the pocket. He, he this passes were on point, led very two confident drives. And to me, that's what you want to see if you're a New York Jets fan, man. I think that's something that is really something that everybody wants to see. You know what I'm saying? And I think that this kid has a chance to at least be a decent quarterback. I don't think he'll ever reach up to the potential of being the number two draft pick and being that guy that I think can be the franchise guy. But I think it's something that, as we see in, in New York, he's going to get the opportunity to start right the gate. I don't even know who the hell is the second quarterback on the depth chart. So I know he's going to be starting out there, which is another reason why I'm pissed about Justin Fields not starting. But I digress. And I think it's something for Jets fans to watch. They haven't anything to watch in God knows how long. It's been a, there's been a lot of bad Jets football over the last decade. I think last time they were good was the was the Rex Ryan era. And that was like 2010. You know what I'm saying? And, and so for them to actually have something to watch, I hope it works out for them. 
Hope it works out for him. I like what I saw. Want to see more this week in week three. But salute to him, man. So our next and final topic before we get to our goofy mark of the week later on, before we get to our interview here with Sean Davis. Famous Jameis, man. We got a lot of things going on in uh, New Orleans right now, man. The Drew Brees is over. The Drew Brees era is over. The greatest stat pattern of our generation is gone. And it's time, man. Sean Payton it has a little quarterback battle going on right now between Jameis Winston and the human embodiment of white privilege, Taysom Hill. And after watching this past preseason game against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't even know why this is a competition, man. I'm not saying Jameis is great. You live by Jameis, you die by Jameis. Jameis can go out there and throw 40 touchdowns, and Jameis can give you actually 40 interceptions going with that motherfucker. But what I saw from this past weekend, 9 for 10, over 100-plus yards, a touchdown, he looked great. He looked great, man. And I think this is a team, that's a quarterback that you got to roll with. Taysom Hill is not it. Taysom Hill is not it. If he was a black quarterback, he wouldn't even be in the packages. He wouldn't. And I just feel like this is something that Sean Payton, keep it simple, stupid. When it comes to quarterbacking, Taysom Hill is not Jameis Winston. Jason, Jameis Winston is a guy that should go out there and give you a chance to win. He can get a chance to lose that motherfucker too. But I trust his arm way more than Taysom Hill. Keep Taysom Hill in the generic wild card formation. Maybe have him as a receiver type role. Now, I saw a lot of people say, well, you know, if you look at what Pay Sean Payton does, I think he's going to defeat the narrative that if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Sean Payton, if you have two quarterbacks, you can have two quarterbacks. Don't do it. Give the job to Jameis. Let him do it. Now, still don't think they're going to be – they're not going to win the division. Let's just keep it all the way funky. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to crew. And I don't think a lot of people are really paying attention to the fact that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have brought everybody back. That defense that was ferocious last year is back. The offense is back with a full training camp. And you know Tom Brady want to go out there and keep running the score up, try to get number eight. So I think it will be the Buccaneers' division to lose. But if you look at the bottom half of that NFC six and seven seed uh, wild card pitcher, you got teams like the Bears. You're going to have teams like the Arizona Cardinals, which could rebuild, be real uh, boom or bust this year. And you got teams like the Minnesota Vikings. That New Orleans Saints defense is damn good. That defense is damn good. They got one of the best running backs in Alvin Kamara. Jameis Winston can at least keep them competitive in a wild card chase. And I think that's your best option if you're Sean Payton. Sean Payton is a great coach, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, Sean Payton is going to, into the Hall of Fame for sure. Uh, went to Eastern Illinois, Illinois guy. Um, so to me, keep it simple, bro. Keep it simple. It's time to bring the famous Jameis era back. And it's time for that, man. So that's what I'm gonna say about that, man. Keep it simple. Gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back. We've got another guest here on I'm Not Gonna Hold You, man. We've got my homie, man. We've got the guy Sean Davis here from ESPN 1000 in Chicago, Illinois, man. Good friend of mine. One of the other guys who helped me get into this media space here, man. So it's good to have him on. We're gonna talk about a little White Sox baseball, man. Uh the team right now, I know we kind of sound like some spoiled kids right now. You know, we're with 73 wins right now. We got a 10-game division lead. Yeah. Uh, we got five weeks left in the season. On the road to, you know, making a playoff run. But 
it's just so many concerns with team, man. So I want to give you the floor. Oh, by the way, thank you for joining me this week, man. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, let them know where they can find you at and all the other stuff. And, and, and just tell them, what, what's, your, what's your opinion on this team so far into this season? Well, first of all, let's just get to the opinion on the team. Uh, pleasantly surprised, right? I think they're right where they're supposed to be in this rebuild process. Uh, right now, I'm getting to the space. This is where I am. After watching this team, I've come to the realization that, you know what, take a step back, rein in your emotions and understand that this is a young baseball team. Right. But regardless of how talented they are, you still have a very young baseball team at its core. You have a couple of veterans. You have a guy like Randall that's been through the wars with the Dodgers and understands postseason baseball, but the majority of the roster has no clue what's coming. When you right. talk about the dog days of August and going into September and then into the playoffs, you know, they had a little bit, a little taste of it, small sample size when they faced off against Oakland in that three-game set. But I don't even think they still got beyond the tip of the iceberg yeah. when it comes to what it's really like. Last night, the game they played against Toronto, that second game, and Toronto felt like a playoff game. Yeah. It felt like a playoff game in the middle of August. So hopefully – you know, they can get to a cleaner brand of baseball. That's that's my desire for the, this team right now. I want to see them play a cleaner brand of baseball more consistently. And what's, what's funny about that, you know, we talk all the time about this, and, you know, you've been texting me, like, clean baseball, clean baseball all season. And the more I pay attention to it, it's like, yes, this team, I don't think I've seen them play a clean baseball game all season. It's like something they do that messes shit up. So I feel like they got to clean it up, too. And as you were talking about the experience, that's also a good point, too, because we look at last year, you got to take everything that happened in a 60-game season last year with a grain of salt. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not – if after 60 games, you got 102 more, 102 more games. Like, this is the first time that we've actually had – this is actually kind of year one in the window, if you want to think about it. It's You can't even say it's Eloy's uh, – Eloy and um, Luis's – first full season because they missed damn near the whole season right. so you got all these other things and even against oakland last year uh there was nobody in the stands we you know how different it have been with that that crazy crowd they got there in oakland in a packed out house in the playoff situation so with this you're right it's like they're going through the motions at the same time right. so what, what what's your opinion on what uh LaRusse is doing you know I think me and you go back and forth on this about he's giving guys too many rest days it's like there's too many bullpen days he's getting a little bit too happy with that division lead what do you think he's doing as far as getting this team ready for the next month well a lot of people debate how important a manager is in baseball and I go back to the old adage you win 60 you lose 60 and it's what you do with the other 42 that determines how okay. good of a team you are and I think Tony La Russa was brought in for those other 42. I think he was brought in for this time of the season when things get tough and you need to start to build yourself into a playoff-ready team, playing clean baseball. So this is where he shows his mettle, in my opinion. How they play moving forward late August into September and on into the playoffs will prove whether or not, whether or not he was the right hire. Right. That's why he was hired. He wasn't hired for the beginning of the season. They have talent. Even with the injuries, they're the most talented team in the Central Division. Yeah, for arguably sure. One, arguably top five talented teams in the American League. Yeah. And that's with the injuries. Yeah. So the depth they have waiting down the Triple A, they have tough decisions. 
you know, do you bring Gavin Sheets and Berger up for the playoff push? Uh, Goodwin has had some incredible moments in the second half. Had a good play last night. Absolutely. Billy Hamilton's going to come back. You need that guy late inning. He's going to be the late inning, pinch runner, defense, Emmett Engel, for when you got to take Eloy and Vaughn out the game for sure. Absolutely. So now it comes down to do I keep Jake Lamb or do I bring uh, Gavin Sheets up? Gavin Sheets, to me, is a more dangerous bat, a more trustworthy bat. But he doesn't have the flexibility. Lamb can right. play third. Lamb can play first. He can play the outfield. So play outfield, for, yeah. Yeah, if they're looking for more roster flexibility, then they probably bring him up. So those are the questions, uh, and those are the things that are going to show whether or not Tony LaRusso was the right hire because that's why he was brought in to teach this young roster how to play clean baseball and prepare them for the playoff push. And I, I went back and looked at the 2011 uh, St. Louis Cardinals season. Uh, yeah. Went back and watched like that documentary they had. And, and I saw kind of a lot of parallels between that team and this team. That team had a lot of injuries. You know, that they uh, they had uh, Wayne Wright miss the whole damn season. Um, you know, Albert Pujols missed a, a huge amount of time. They had a lot of in-season trade, mid-season trades that went on. But they had other depth pieces step up and really get this team to where they uh, got into the playoffs. And that's what you see with this team. We've gotten unsung performances from guys we never thought. You got Billy Hamilton hitting home runs. Uh, you've got Brian Goodwin, what he's been doing. Yerm in the first month and a half, two months, what he did. He basically helped carry this team for the first two months. And so what they did in the September, they took off because they were down like seven or eight games in the Central to the Milwaukee Brewers. They came storming all the way back, and then they had that great playoff run, which eventually uh, ended them becoming World Series champions in Game 7 in that incredible series against the Rangers. So, And one thing that's always stood out about LaRusa that year and even his time with Oakland was how he managed the bullpen, which goes to my next question, next point, the bullpen. The White Sox have one of the most talented bullpens in the league, especially in the American League. When you've got the quote-unquote ponytail game, which is a terrible fucking nickname, and they stopped the doing that shit. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible nickname. <laughs> With Michael Kopech, Liam Hendricks, and Craig Campbell. All three have been having struggles. Are you concerned about these three, and more specifically how they're handling Michael Kopech, and how do you think they can fix this before October? The, you know, the schedule came out there before October 7th happens, which would be when the ALDS starts. I'll start with Kopech. I'm concerned because I don't understand what I've been seeing. Right Right. Before he went to the IL with the hamstring injury, Michael Kopech was basically doing what Ronaldo Lopez was doing for Carlos Rodon. Right? If they needed a spot start and a split doubleheader or they wanted to rest the starter, he's the guy to come in, give you that start, go four or five innings, throw 80 pitches. He had built himself up to that point, and he was dominant in that role. And then you would use him for one inning out of the bullpen, but they would only pitch him like every two to three days. Comes back from the IL, and all of a sudden, they throw him into this multiple inning, seventh inning guy, and it's like, that's your role. Right. So it was kind of strange to me whether or not they were worried about bringing his arm or whether or not he could build his arm back up or testing his arm to see if he could throw the same amount of pitches. I'm just worried about this organization being overly cautious with Michael Kopech and handling with kid gloves. It's like at some point we understand how precious his arm is. We understand how important he is to the starting rotation in years to come, but you can't coddle him for the rest of his career. 
Sure At some point, you're gonna have to let the kid go. Kopech's problem right now. I think he's had two bad outings. I think there was a home. Uh, the game. Yeah, he was, gave that home run to Joey Gallo, was it? it was a, but that pitch to Gallo really wasn't a bad pitch. The outing yeah. I was talking about was the uh, Zavala game. Was Zavala? Oh, hit three oh home yeah, runs. yeah, yeah. He had the three home run. That crazy game against Cleveland. That crazy game in Cleveland yeah. had something. I think Sebi after that game said he was tipping his pitches. Yeah, and they knew what was coming. But basically, teams have been laying off his breaking stuff and saying if he throws it for a strike, cool. We're gonna go ahead and try to take his fastball up the middle in the opposite field. And that's what they've been doing. That's what the Blue Jays did last night. So what he's been doing lately is just missing his spots. If Kopech is throwing 98 but is right down the middle, teams can hurt him. Yeah. No one has really been able to hurt him on the breaking ball. So he just needs to work on his pitch placement, throwing to the corners inside and out, getting that slider and that change up over for strikes, and he'll be fine come the playoffs. Bummer has recovered nicely. Thank I God. Like Man, Bummer <laughs> has recovered nicely. And the unsung hero, in my opinion, that has been super clutch, uh, he was super clutch that first game against Tampa Bay, was Garrett Crochet. Garrett yeah. Crochet has recovered really nicely from his early season struggles and the back issues he had early in the season. And now you have him and Bummer coming from the left side, throwing a 96-mile-per-hour sinker. And then Crochet can come in. Now he's up to 98, 99 again with that nasty slider. And then when I look at Liam Hendricks, Liam Hendricks, I'll, you know what? That dude is fearless. I'll give him that. Yeah. I'll give exactly. him that. You ain't got to worry about him being scared on that mound at all. None at all. The, the bottom of the ninth he pitched in Tampa Bay was fearless and courageous. And what he gave you last night was courageous. Getting five clutch outs to get that win. In a tough game where the Blue Jays had all the momentum, and you just had the, feeling, yeah. you had the feeling that they were going to overtake the White Sox in the eighth or the ninth inning, and Hendricks just slammed the door on anything they had. When going. Vlad came up there, bases loaded, one yeah. out, I was like, "This is going to be a Sports Center highlight," and I'm going to yeah. be mad as hell. And and for him to get a double play out of that, and just he even had a little trouble in the ninth inning too. I think he had like 40, 45 pitches or something like that. And he got through it, and I think that's huge. But what do you think about Kimbrell? Like, because I think that's the you know, it's, this is typical White Sox that Rick Khan finally makes the trade that we all been wanting him to make, and this dude can't find the strike zone to find his life. Do you, are you part of the crowd that feels like he's uh not really being accurate because he's in the eighth inning role instead of his usual closer role, or do you feel like he's just having a hard time finding strikes in general? I mean, it's two sides to this, right? Either you believe that's bull. Or you really believe in the fact that it's all about your usage and the, uh, what you're used to. Like, you have a routine. And that's something we great players like Kobe, Michael Jordan, any other great player tell you, I have a routine. And if you break my routine, I just don't feel right. So he might fall under that particular area. But for me, it's all about Kimbrel's. He's very similar to Kopech. Can you place the fastball? You're right. Right. Because no, a lot of people, you're not going to get damaged when you have a slider like him. No one's about to hurt you really bad. They might foul it off. They might get a bloop hit that falls in or a CNI single up, you know, to the opposite field. But anything other than that, Kopech and Kimbrough are getting hurt on the fastball because either they're walking people or they're throwing it right down the middle. And Kimbrough is not Kopech. Kopech's 98. Kimbrough's like 95, 96. Yeah. Oh, that's you can't do that to these major league hitters. 
my my I, we talked about this. I the White Sox in their bullpen. I don't know if this is something that comes for Ethan Katz and uh, what he instilled as a game plan for the pitching staff, but they only pitch to half the plate. Right. Really I swear to God, they do. They pitch to half the plate. It's middle of the plate to the outside corner. And that's it. And if you listen to Frank Thomas on pregame for White Sox, he constantly tells or he constantly says that you can't have this much stuff as a staff and not pitch the inside and move the feet of the hitters or make them think about moving. If they can just look middle out, it doesn't matter what pitch you throw. They can foul it off. They can stay in the at-bats until you make a mistake, and then they can hurt you. And that's what's been happening with this bullpen. If this bullpen throws strikes and throws to both sides of the plate, that's what we started seeing from Crochet. He started hitting the outside corner. Then he busts guys inside. Once he busts you inside with that fastball, you start looking inside. And you want to open up, here comes the slide. Cooked. <laughs> Cooked. So, yeah, they just have to be more efficient with their pitches, throw strikes, and then use both sides of the plate. And we definitely have the stuff to be a dominant bullpen. There's no question about that. So if you're LaRusa, do you give Kimbrough a couple closing opportunities over this next month? Because LaRusa said, uh, well, today, as we're recording, this is Wednesday, that if there's a close game, Kimbrough will be closing because Liam threw too many damn pitches last night. Would you give him any opportunities just to see if it changes a little bit? Yeah, they should have a two-for-one, right? Yeah. It's like, Kimbrough, every third day, you're the closer. That's it. I like that. If Liam closes two, you're closing this third game. And you just start the rotation over and over again because when you come to the playoffs and you don't have days off, Hendricks can't close every game. Nope, sure can't. So, look, Kimbrough's going to have to be that guy that you can depend on to say, hey, we can't go to Liam today. You're going to have to close this game. Either we're going to have Crochet in front of you or Bummer in front of you, and that's how we're going to stack it up. Kopech's going to be in the seventh inning. And we haven't seen Tapera a lot. Yeah, well, and, 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 and Tapera made the big save on Friday against yeah. Tampa. Yeah. yeah. So we haven't seen. So the bullpen is should be rested. I love the moves they made because it's going to cut down on usage. Yeah. You're not going to see guys like I got uh, that's on the IL because Ricky Renteria used them up so much last year. Jimmy Cordero. Jimmy Cordero. Was I like, forgot he's still on the team. Dude, it was only 60 games. I think he had like 50 appearances. <laughs> Yep, sure yeah, did. So that's that's insane. And now yeah. he has the rehab from that uh, Tommy John surgery. But Rick Hunt has done a great job of stockpiling talent and giving uh, Tony LaRusso a lot of options for playoff baseball. Definitely. Uh, Two-part question, man, my next one. Of course, I know your answer to this because we talk about this all the time. What is your number one concern about this team heading into October? And what can they do over these next five weeks? Because this is basically just training for, for postseason. Because let's be real. Look yeah. at the schedule. We're up 10. Cleveland lost to the damn Rangers last night. They're not coming back. Right. <laughs> so uh, what do you think they can do over the next month to change your number one concern heading into October? Uh, the number one thing they can do is get healthy. Okay. And getting to a rhythm, and what I mean by that, get a lineup that they're comfortable with, that everybody knows and begins to know their role. Right. And that's been the difficulty of the injuries and not knowing everything. I've been begging since Tim was out. I've been begging for Luis Robert to be moved up and Hernandez to be moved down. And he's been doing great in them one and two holes. And Luis Robert needs to stay either at the one or two hole when Tim comes back. 
Like Tim Lee's off, Robert Batten second. If Moncada continues his resurgence, watch out because it's going to lengthen this lineup. Once Grandall comes back, you know the on-base percentage for the team is going up. Yeah. Right? He's going to hit for power. He's going to drive in runs. So that's what – look, Friday might be the first time this team is at 100%. At the whole damn season. I think it's even something I had to, like, think, too, when I was angry the night. Like, you do know we ain't had our roster healthy right. all fucking year. Like, Friday is going to probably be the first time. And so now we get to really see the full potential – of this lineup, you have Brian Goodwin as your ninth hitter. I mean, you're doing pretty, doing pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah. And I've been hard on Danny Mendick, but he came through last night with two clutch hits. Yeah. And I mean, everybody they had 18 hits, but the problem that I want to point out after finding that rhythm is that the focus and the approach, especially in the playoffs when you're facing tough pitching each and every night, top notch, top notch pitchers, starting and out of the bullpen. You have to have an approach as a team. Yep. You know, Hulk Harrison used to say it best. You can't protect the whole plate. You're going to have to choose, look, I'm looking half half out or I'm looking on the inside corner because you can't cover everything against great pitchers. Yep. So we have to have an approach. I felt like they didn't have an approach against Manoa in the first game. They had a great approach last night against Barrios, a guy that has given them, man, considerable trouble. We've been locking us down. Yeah. So to come out early and jump on him was fantastic. It shows the approach that they had. To they faced Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray is an AL Cy Young candidate. He's had an incredible season. The first time he faced us at the at guarantee rate, he pitched seven innings, and I don't know how we came back and won that game. Now that boy we ended left. up winning it. We stuck <laughs> around and got yeah. big hits late. Tonight they have to have a great approach. Hard-throwing lefty, up the middle, opposite field, put together two or three hits. He can't hold runners. Hopefully we can get guys on base, still a couple of bases, and manufacture runs because you can't depend on the long ball. And that's been one of my issues all year long. Yep. We depend on the long ball. The first half, I think we were bottom five in home runs. Then, then, then we start getting ball, healthy. Now we're number one. We start getting healthy. Yeah. Now we're up to number one. But that's not something we want to hang our hats on because we have so much offensive talent. Yep. And the thing that I'm happy about is that Abreu and, and Eloy are getting super hot. Yep. And if those that three and four spot can carry you, you know Tim is going to get on base. It's going to hit about 300. He did that last year in the playoffs. Tim's going to show up. I'm concerned about that number two spot. Hopefully, hopefully Luis Robert can solidify that. Grandall can give more protection to Eloy because he doesn't have it right now when he comes back. And then, you know, you have Moncada that can carry. If you put him at the seventh spot, now you have Dan. deadly. Yeah, and your bottom third as well, outside of your top six. So I just need them to have focus and score runs by any means necessary. Not always the home run, but just focus, great at bats. They were top five in K-rate. I think up until like the middle of July. Okay. As of today, they're now 15th in K rate. So they have decreased the amount of strikeouts. Which is really, really they good. piled out, piled up. And if Barrios had six and three innings last night. Yeah, which is which is way too many. Which is crazy. I think <laughs> the stat was it was the lowest run output for a team. 18 hits, 18 five hits. runs. Disgusting. Yeah. 
Yes. Disgusting. All year. <laughs> and the lowest run output by a team with that many hits in White Sox history since 1960. Damn. That's Damn. crazy. Uh, one Just one quick question before we get out of, out of here. This is not White Sox related. What week does Justin Fields start? Oh, man. What week does Justin Fields start? I'm saying. You have to help me out a little bit. When I'm going to. Week? The bye week is like. We got late bye week. It's like week 10. I'm going to say. Oh, I won't my, be that late then. My birthday is October 26th. I think he starts on Halloween against the Niners. I'm gonna That's go, where I'm going at. I'm going earlier than, than that. We play Cleveland the third week, right? Third week in Cleveland, yeah. Yeah, yeah, week four. Okay. Week four. Week we'll four. see. That Cleveland, we'll, that Cleveland game is going to do. That's going to be like the valley of yeah. the season. Yep. Definitely. Andy Dalton will never recover from that Cleveland game. Well, that, he got to get out of week one alive first. <laughs> you got to see that grown man, Aaron Donald, baby steps. Well, this is crazy, <laughs> right? Because it has to be just as much pressure on Matthew Stafford, right? Yeah. Like, dude, you are the reason. You're the reason. Like, all of our Super Bowl hopes are because of you. We went out and made the trade for you. And as people who have seen there. Matthew Stafford the last 10 years, yeah. good luck. And, and yeah. what, what did Fat Joe say? God bless yeah. <laughs> but um let them know where they can follow you at man everything you got going on with your podcast where they can get in tune with you yes yeah, sean davis you can follow me on all platforms of social media at sd2 mics and then uh i'm producing an espn chicago this fall i'll be covering notre dame football for the sports uh sports illustrated site i'll be writing some stuff surrounded by betting uh, my first article will be up friday it's irishbreakdown.com. I'll be giving you t- talking about in a, uh, college football futures for the top 10, and then I'll be giving you the best bets to play for win totals. I'll just give you a sneak peek. I think if you want to play a win total, you should go up to East Lansing and play Michigan State. That win total is at four. Put that in now. And do put that money on Michigan State. Put that money in now. More than four wins. I guarantee that. Uh, Michigan State is definitely going to be a bold team. So that'll be coming out. Of course, we'll be covering the White Sox all the way through the playoffs on ESPN Chicago. And then we have some other stuff in the mix with my boy Brian Crawford and my boy J.R. Bang. We got some stuff that's coming forth in 2022. Shot Bang, get, get well, Bang. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's good now. I think the whole house is much better now. So uh, I, I, I hope so. I was talking the other day. He was, he was, he was, he was, he was. Wasn't doing good, so I'm glad he. I'm glad to hear he's doing much better. So, yeah, definitely, yeah. So everybody's wonderful, man. And uh, once again, congratulations to you and everything you Thank guys you, are doing. Uh, Thank you, bro. You seeing flows on the beat, answering questions, getting looks on ESPN TV on first take and get up. Uh, just imagining the first time we saw you guys in the flesh when you walked into the studios with myself and JP. Yeah, over there at WGN, WGN, and uh, where we've all come from, just your work and even your guys, Thomas and Pabby, and everything, man. Just going back to you know, not even remembering that Pabby performed when we did uh the show with Jack and Bang. oh, yeah, yeah, Pabby I remember that, I remember that, Pabby. yeah, and just looking back, like, yo, that was Pabby, I didn't even realize it. You put two and two together, but everybody's blessed, man. We can't help but to be thankful and uh, 
give thanks to God for everything that's happening in our lives right now. Pappy is uh, Stephen A. Smith by day, James Bond at night. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, uh, thank you for joining us, man. Stay in tune with them. Soxtober 2021. God be an alcohol bottle to get me through these next eight weeks. But we out, man. Thanks, bro. I appreciate you, man. Have a good one. Yes, sir. Now, let's get into our goofy mug of the week, man. Uh, I had a lot of a lot of ways to think about where I'm going to go with this, man. I thought about giving it to Cam Newton. thought about giving it to Cole Beasley. But then it hit me last minute. It's something that flashed across my phone two days ago, early in the morning, from the Athletic. The Las Vegas Raiders called the Chicago Bears in the offseason about what it would take to get Khalil Mack on the Raiders. I find this extremely fucking hilarious because I have been arguing with Raider fans for the last year and a half about who won that trade, which it shouldn't have been an argument because we've gone to the playoffs two out of the last three years. The the Oakland Raiders at the time, Las Vegas now, have not made the playoffs at all in those couple years. They got them a decent runner back in the trade, but he's not what the Mac man is. Khalil Mack has had more sacks over these last three seasons than the three seasons combined for that pass rush they've got on the Raiders. And I thought it was really, really funny that they're like, oh, damn, we fucked up. Let's see if we can get this guy back over here. And the fact that the, bull, that the Bears were like, get off my line, dog. They don't, even, don't even play with me with that. It, it's very, very hilarious. John Gruden trying to figure out he made a mistake was funny, man. And, and you know, I don't know what they're going to do over there, man. They've got that beautiful stadium where a lot of people was out there for SummerSlam this past weekend. Shout out my homie Pierce, you know, Barbershop Network. He told me it was great. They have a hard time feeling that motherfucker. They have if, if it's not against the uh the good teams, good luck. Cause I ain't got no faith in David Carr. My goofy market week. Gotta give it to them. Gotta give it to the Las Vegas Raiders, man. You played yourself, man. But um, thank you for joining me for another edition of I'm not gonna hold you, man. Uh, I want to give a shout out to everybody who's been watching this, man. Really, really, really appreciate it, man. R.I.P. Kobe Bryant, man. As you see, I got the rookie year being man yesterday was mom day his birthday was a couple days ago man we miss you always keep your family in our thoughts and prayers man we love you man and also follow me on twitter at barb chair scott on twitter and instagram follow hmb media hmb media tv on twitter follow the barbershare network at barbershare net patreon.com backslash barbershare network five dollar packages ten dollar packages summer sessions will be back this weekend i promise i know i said that shit last week and, and, and we didn't come back but We'll be back this week. Guarantee it, man. We out. I'll holler at y'all next week. Get in paper on these player haters. Old news. Money on the other line. So I'm not going to hold you. Money on the other line. So I'm not going to hold you. Money on the other line. So I'm not going to hold you.